This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. All right. All right. <clears throat> Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. My name is Walt. Normally his name is Chase, but he's not here. And we've got one simple goal, and that's to bring you content that motivates you to get outside and enjoy the great outdoors, specifically right now, Florida. And I know that sounds kind of like a crazy thing, uh, but Florida is a treasure trove for the outdoorsman. The guest we're talking to tonight literally spent all last weekend in the outdoors to the point where he's got a life hangover. Not a real hangover, but just like, you know, you know one of those weekends where you have too much fun and you just can't get your feet underneath you afterwards? That's kind of what we're talking about here. And so today we're going to build on that and we're going to have fun. We're going to do part two of the Florida Habitat How to Deer Hunt Florida series, and this is uh, this is fun. So if, if this is the first time you're listening to us, here's what's going on. So we have a six-part series. It's going to be five segments. We've broken up Florida into what we think are the five most distinguishable habitats. We're bringing people on to talk about each of those habitats, and then we're going to have a recap episode. It's going to be a roundtable discussion. I've got no idea what that looks like. It's kind of coming together in my mind slowly, and we're just going to kind of break everything down. And uh, I think it's going to be a good time. So along the lines with Habitat, whenever you think Habitat, you need to think Spartan Forge. And here's why. Spartan Forge has the most detailed map system possible. If you go to the app and you, and you, and you sign up here soon, you can go to the Lambda feature. And in a lot of areas, when you zoom in, you get a minimum of three different aerial uh pictures right from the jump and then in a lot of parts of the country there are multiple options underneath the lambda uh, feature where you can scroll through back in time to see different seasons to see different cuts of timber see see the habitat as it's progressed and i think that's very important i've got a series coming later this summer that's going to touch on how i was successful doing exactly that but with multiple different apps and how you can use spartan forge to cut the distance so use the promo code chasing tales t-a-l-e-s all caps or all lowercase to save on your next order to sign up i should say and you can lock that price in for life it's a 25 percent promo code and i 
believe that can still lock you in for about 40 50 bucks for life. And that's way cheaper. That's all the states in the country. It's going to be a good time. So along those lines, we've got a Patreon member. We've got a, a repeat offender. That's my favorite thing to say whenever we have a guest on more than once. It's a repeat offender. And at some point you move into the contributor phase, but I don't know what that means. When I don't know when that line kind of cuts and, and whatnot. But we got a repeat offender. We've got... The one and only split shot dude. You've had one hectic week after a bender of fun this past weekend. I appreciate you still carving out time to come on the podcast. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Walt. Um, just love being able to get, give this information out to people so that we can help help people learn how to hunt Florida. Well, you know, this series kind of came about. you know, we don't really work hard to come up with content for you guys because the Patreon group is just a constant revolving door of topics and information. And I keep waiting for it to run out of steam and it just never does. We just, the the ball just keeps rolling there, you know? And uh, I think about people like Pat in that Patreon group that are trying to break down Florida. They're trying to understand these different areas and and they bounce around from area to area. And it's so unique. The state is really cool in that the, the habitat truly is unique all over the place. And I think, Everybody who is not from Florida is like, oh, yeah, well, Georgia's got mountains and it's got this. It's like, yeah, but a lot of everything in between is really similar. And as you drive through Florida, it's like you're going through a different part of the world over and over and over again. And I really wanted to take time to break that down and really take the time to examine each one for its unique qualities. And so we started off with North Florida. Now we're moving down into the central Florida area. You and I kind of had a little bit of a back and forth as to how to describe the area that you hunt. So how do you characterize this area? Is it scrub oak country? Is that really what you would call it? Or, Well, actually, I kind of live on the edge of what you would consider like actual scrub habitat. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to really see what the Florida scrub is, then uh, you would have to go to like the Ocala National Forest um there's another big like ridge of scrub that's down towards lake wales and then there's pockets of it that are along the coast but uh what really makes the scrub unique is that 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 habitat itself is highly endangered and there's only a you know a few animals that live there that can only live there and that's the reason like the ocala national forest was the number one national forest this side of the Mississippi um so that that was it's actually the oldest it was created in 1908 was when it was protected and uh that's your your real Florida scrub and then if you move like out from that there's there's habitat that is similar to it so you'll have um the other day we were talking about the sand live oak Mm -hmm. and uh that is still a scrub tree and it, you'll find it throughout like central Florida and different places. Yeah. So drastically different than part one, you know, part one, we're talking big pine flats. We're talking big hardwood flats and you've moved into a flatter part of the country. Um, you know, this is kind of difficult because there's like always a hundred different ways you want to take this dialogue. Um, yeah maybe the opening to this could be why don't you kind of set the framework of what makes that area difficult to hunt if you want really wanted to talk about the difficulty um as it is really sandy so the where the scrub habitat is is 
on old sand dunes. So it makes this sugar sand and it can be extremely hard to find tracks if there's no rain. Um, if it gets dry out in which if you really, you go to describe the scrub is kind of like Florida's desert in a way. And then the plants that are there, when you go to looking at these uh, different oak species that live um, there and the actually in the real scrub, like in Ocala, uh, those, those trees are almost like hedge-like. So it's, when we talk about thick, you're talking, you can't crawl through some of this stuff because it's just so thick. Just think about the hedges in front of your house and then think about the nastiest, like toughest oak tree you could imagine. And that's the kind of habitat that we're talking about. So because it's sandy and it's hard to look at tracks and because of how thick it is. And then the other thing is because of the trees, they don't ever grow big. So it's extremely hot when you get out into the scrub itself. Gotcha. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a hostile like environment, no matter how you look at it, because with sandy soil i live in southeast or i live <clears throat> i lived in southeast georgia for a long time a lot of that area is just like that it's old sand dunes it's real sandy it's we call it sugar sand if you got a a two-wheel drive truck and you don't have some weight in the back of it you know that back end can just kind of just sit there and, and spin tires and you're in trouble in a heartbeat um and i've always i was always awestruck by the trees that still made it there because you know there's really nothing for them i mean nu nutrient wise that area is really poor yeah, they're uniquely designed to make it. Um, their leaves are like curved so that they can hold in water. Uh, there's plants there that actually put off like a herbicide that kill the other plants so that they can soak in more nutrients. Um, just doing a little bit of research on it, it's really, really a special place. It's a place that needs to be preserved. But uh, it has so many challenges. And because of those challenges, deer never really grow real big. Like you you shoot an 80 inch deer in the scrub and that is, you know, like a Pope and young. Mm. If you shoot a hundred inch deer in the scrub, that is probably harder to do than kill a Boone and Crockett. I've only seen a few actually come out of like real scrub habitat. So this is the land of the chicken buck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just, they just never, there's a lot of food there and there's a lot of bedding there but there's not a lot of good nutritional value and there's not any water that you're going to find most of the you know what a deer is going to get as far as water content which is big for antlers um just having a lot of water and it, it's going to come off of these oak leaves where they soak it up in the in the condensation from the morning is where they get most of that hmm. okay so how does one go about targeting an area that's flat that's thick that doesn't have an abundance of water like what what how do you adapt to hunting that area like from the jump what applies and what doesn't in the mainstream like hunting advice well you need to find something that's going to be different so by different you're going to look where can i find habitat changes which would be um, out in the scrub, there's, there's these, um, big longleaf pond and it creates a wire grass habitat, which would be really good for quail and stuff. And what I find is deer will move out of, out of the scrub because it's so hot and it's so, such a thick place to be. And I don't believe that wind gets in there during the summer months or even during the early part of hunting season. So they'll find places that are more open. It may be on a sand pond 
you know, kind of terrain where it opens up a little more. But the deer tend to look for those more open places. And it, like I was talking about the wire grass, they'll move out into the wire grass where the wind seems to move around. And I think that's because the they they actually get a breeze out there and they can be in a shaded area. So that might be something that you look for. Um, another big thing to look for is is cuts. And when most people think of cutovers, they're thinking of um, of pine kind of habitat. But what we have is because the scrub is unique, it's just it's just designed to be regenerated every one to five years that's what should happen naturally with it and uh so they will come in and roller chop it they may come in and take out the few sand pines that are in it and then they'll roller chop the chop the cut that they took the pines out of and what that does is supercharges the plants that are there um if anybody ever listens to like msu deer lab they talk about stump uh mineral stumps and that's kind of what happens here because these these plants have a lot of root system and it'll come to it'll grow back whenever they come in and roller chop it and it just supercharges those plants and it makes it a really good habitat for deer to come in and feed and that that's where you usually find your deer they're going to be in one of those places where there's a change in habitat um and they have, an, have some kind of good food source to be able to go to. And if you can find something different that's there, then that's a good place to start and key in on. You know, it's interesting you talk about the area that has more airflow. You know, you don't think about, I shouldn't speak for everyone else. I don't think about when I go to places how much airflow they have. But if you have those dense areas compared to more open areas i mean just from a safety perspective you're probably able to smell something long before it gets to you you can play that wind right and uh, that is actually something i learned from a, a friend of mine um he worked for the prison and they he was telling me about this guy that got stuck out in the scrub and the guy actually had heat stroke and they had to go in and try to find him and he was telling me whenever you get in those really thick, dense places, you're not getting the airflow that you would mm -hmm. get typically. And even in different habitats, I, I really believe in temperature-based bedding. Um, there is so hot here. And when you, you watch these deer move from, from the scrub habitat where food would be, because it's plentiful there. There's a lot of browse um, whenever mm -hmm. the acorns are on the trees, like there's acorns everywhere um they have the security there but they would leave that habitat and go to a place that would have a terrain feature and it was just a cooler area and you would watch that happen consistently especially in the beginning part of um like our season during bow season because it's just so extremely hot i think that there's something to do with that temperature based bedding and i've even seen that on different kind even in the longleaf pond habitat uh, i saw a deer last year he he had the choice of being in a, in a swamp or being on the edge of this longleaf pond and what he did is he got somewhere he could see he had wind blowing around and he was actually watching hunters walk by him there was a couple other mm. guys before we ever found that deer had watched hunters go by him and he was just laid in in the palmettas and the salt palmettas and the shade hanging out you know, with the, you know, he had a doe close by, but 
Um, I really believe that he was there because it's beneficial. It's comfortable. You don't want to be somewhere that's going to expend a lot of energy. When you sit out in that sun, it takes away a lot of your energy. And I think deer are the same way. Yeah. I mean, panting, panting is exhausting. You know, I mean, realistically, that's going to be your main way for a deer to thermoregulate itself. It's going to be just move as much air through and dissipate that heat and moving that diaphragm in and out. It's a lot of energy. If you could slow that down, that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't even considered that. Not to mention, it also probably reduces your water consumption. So you have kind of a double whammy there. I've always thought that, especially in these pine forests, where it's almost just nothing but, you know, pine flats where you have those tie tie groups that, that come through and it's a little bit darker underneath. I've always wondered if those were preferred for similar reasons. Yeah, I would think so. Um, we have some, of the, some of that same habitat here. Um, and it's really similar. You get into the, in the gall berries and, and tie ties, it's really thick. It's, it's a tough habitat to survive in, but normally there you're going to have some kind of water, um, sitting just because that soil content is just a little bit different than what it would be in the, in the scrub habitat. So what's the deer density like in these areas? Cause it seems like there's the opportunity for there to be a fair amount of deer, perhaps not the biggest deer, but a, a pretty decent population. Is that the case? Honestly, I would say the population is kind of low. Um, at least, at least the ex- places that I've experienced it, whenever I've, I get into places that have more ponds and you'll have these scrub oaks that'll grow in the ponds. And I find those are good areas. Um, but in the scrub itself, it, I would say deer density are kind of low, but you get pockets of deer. So you need to find where that good sign is going to be at. And it's just important to stay on top of where they're, they, where they want to be at at that time. Gotcha. Okay, so we have a thick habitat that's hot, that has the the thickness of it eliminates a lot of these areas in the hot weather. When the temperatures start to shift, and they don't ever get cold, but when they start to get cooler, do you find that the deer disperse back into those thickets? How do you adjust as the seasons change? So, as it, you know, as we talked about before, I was a dog hunter, so we had, you know, this capability that you could watch on gps where a dog jumped a deer and there one that really comes to mind and it makes me think a lot about bedding was uh, we found that these deer would go back into the thickets when it got cooler when they when it was cooler out um i remember it was it was probably the last week of hunting season and we had dogs in this and it was just in the straight scrub, like in an old cutover. It drove up and just thick and nasty. And they were in there for hours. And we were trying to catch dogs up. And my buddy went around there to go get them. And as soon as he got out, the deer, this buck, it was a really good buck for being there. Um, big 6.8. If he had brow times, it would have been eight. And uh, real wide. Kind of looked like Bullwinkle is what he reminded me of. But, uh, whenever he went or went over there to get the dogs this buck was laid right next to the edge but he was still in that really thick habitat Mm -hmm. and he did not move until you know my friend was almost on top of him and finally he jumped up but we find it seems like in the in the in the later part of the year they do move over into that into that really thick scrub to kind of stay and that may be a security thing, 
but I think there is something to do with the temperatures. It's just warmer. It's more comfortable for them there. And that's where security is. And like I said, they have other than really like an abundance of water, they have everything that they need right there. There there's, you know, just other than being uncomfortable, there's no reason for them to have to come out of the, you know, out of that really thick, nasty scrub. So that presents a unique challenge. How do you go about hunting them? Besides hunt dogs. them during, <laughs> during that time. Yeah, man, go find, find you a good buddy with dogs. Um, you could probably find, if you could find like some trees that overlook it, because you'll have some big ponds that'll that'll stand next to it and if you could get up in there and try to look out um like i said look for those cuts because that's going to be that good food source and if you could get out on those cuts and be able to see a good wave that would give you an opportunity um there's another thing too that because it's mostly there's a few ponds like there's there there are some ponds that are out there but for the most part it is just oak habitat so you'll go along and you'll find these scrapes and i hear so many people they're like i see bucks on everywhere well that sign is there but it's really not something that i hunt like if if i see the scrapes i may hunt around them but i'm not going to waste my time sitting on a scrape because most of that is all at night time and I think it's just the best time to move is at night and really to try to get it on a deer late season in the scrub. It just would be extremely difficult. I'm not saying that it would be impossible, but you're going to need a lot of luck in your favor because they're just not, like I said, there's no really reason, rhyme or reason for them to come out of that habitat. If it's, you know, if, if, if it's not real hot and there, there's not some kind of water draw or some kind of feature that's going to bring them out of there. Hmm that it's interesting because you you'd think when you discuss what you just said that you'd have the potential for there to be some really big bucks but if if that habitat is just so poor nutritionally i guess that it i mean what what's their predominant food source do you think probably eating those you know scrub oak just limbs eating that leaf and um there's all kinds of like things that are down in there but during the anywhere from like September, maybe even August to November, you're going to have scrub oaks that are going to be dropping in there. And that you hear a lot of people that are talking about these little football acorns. Well, that's uh, from that sand live oak. And sometimes it'll get really big and you can find those little hammocks too, but they produce even when they're small. So during hunting season, that would be a, prime probably their main food source and then like i was talking about having those supercharged plants and these cutovers that are just making that browse um i i believe that they said once you did that stump mineral stump kind of deal Mm -hmm. that made that plant just um almost blow up like it like a clover as far as nutrients would do Mm -hmm. It just makes it really valuable to the to the deer that are going to be there. But the soil is so poor majority of the year, and most of that habitat isn't going to be what a deer really needs to be big. You know, they just the further you get into the scrub, the smaller they are. Mm-hmm. 
it just seems to be what typically happens. So the the whole idea behind uh, the uh, mineral stump is that uh, a tree has equilibrium in its fluids throughout the entirety of the tree. And so you have all kinds of things circulating throughout the tree. And when you cut off the, tr the, the trunk of the tree and you have new growth that pops off, that new growth is what you can eat. And if it's on the ends of the trees, I'm, I'm not telling you this because I know you know this, but I don't think we've actually talked about this from the podcast before, but that new growth that's on the ends of the trees, that's a diluted concentration of minerals and, and, and foods and all kinds of things. But whenever you cut that stump off at the base and you have those immediate shoots that are coming right off the base, those immediate shoots are seeking equilibrium with the roots as well. And so you have a high, much, much higher concentration of nutrients and food, uh, consumable calories inside that browse. <clears throat> and moreover, at, because it's, it's being browsed by the deer, it has to work continuously harder to try and create new shoots. And so you end up at this, like you said, like a clover plot and a stump and the deer just gravitate to it i've seen it happen a couple times and it's actually really freaking cool there was a uh, a piece of property that i had private here in town uh, before I, I got into my master's program and he backed over and cut i think it was a sweet gum or no it might have been a red bud but he backed over with a with a tractor and he cut was about a tree this big and i watched deer walk up and eat it numerous numerous times and I always thought, man, these deer must be really hungry out here if they're out here, you know, eating on a on a stump, you know, like this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then that podcast came out with uh, Deer and Deer University or Deer and Deer Labs or whatever it is, uh, MSU Deer Labs, um, and it all started to make sense. It, it's it makes you want to go through the woods and like accidentally cut down a tree. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice if you could just <laughs> do it intentionally. Yeah. But uh, these scrub oaks have really big root systems. So that, cause they're trying to get as much nutrient as they can. So I, I think it just really compounds well to that habitat. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of diversity there. Um, when you get to looking at it, like we were talking about Ocala, I think it's 607 square miles. Mm. And majority of that is just scrub oak. But that's the whole reason that that place is, you know, a national forest and it's protected is because of that. So. It's not the best deer habitat, but at least it's a place that we can go hunt. <laughs> and run dogs, <laughs> which is becoming exactly. exceedingly difficult. You know, I mean, that's, um, that's interesting. So if, if, if we picked split shop up and just moved them to a magical new version of Florida, and we just dropped you in a magical new version of, of the, of the scrub oak country that you know nothing about personally but it's the same habitat you're used to and you're and you're looking at it from an aerial map we're going to do this like aerial map and then on on, on foot when you're on an aerial map what are you going to key in on what are you looking for to to take those millions of acres and really distill them down to a couple actionable items i would pull up my spartan forage and i would start looking for cuts if i could find where they have gone in and do some fresh cuts I would key in on that. I would key in on any water source that I could find that would be near there. Um, I'm looking for anything that's different because if you go in there and you you have this big monoculture of scrub oak, where what makes a deer want to be there more than somewhere else? And, and as a hunter, I need to find a place where a deer is going to move because that's the whole the whole trick to ambush hunting is to be able to have that deer on his feet. And if he's not moving anywhere, like 
you know, when we talk about bedding and stuff, we talk about how small of an area that they move. Well, if he has everything in that area, there's no point for him as a safety issue to go anywhere. So I want to find a place that's going to draw him some kind of distance to be able to get him out. And then I have to get him in a place that I can shoot. If, you know, if you're a bow hunter and you're, you, you could get in the scrub and not be able to draw your bow out, you know, draw it back because it's just that thick. Um, even as a gun hunter, like you have to find openings and places and there, there's little trails and stuff like that where it's just bare dirt, but it's really hard to be able to see in it. So you have to find a place where you could see in it. And that really, again, pulls you back to those cutovers. Mm -hmm. It's funny because Ricky was like, cutovers suck in that first episode you know he was like it's just negative space i know i know they're not going to be there um i i think it's interesting how there's a like more than one way to skin a cat you know he's like that this is negative space but in the scrub oak country everything else is negative space everything else is <laughs> negative space and it's just it's just kind of cool because you know people and i'm i'm not really picking on pat here but I think he just reached out to me right before we did this episode and he was talking about some of the questions he really liked. Um, and he, I think you see with Pat the, um, the difficulty of trying to take something that is communicated, a tactic, and finding a way to apply it in the unique habitat that we have here. And that's sometimes very, very difficult. And if you had just heard Ricky say, you know, cutovers are negative space and you take that and you internalize that and you don't look at the why behind it. And then you go to, to, you know, Ocala and suddenly it doesn't, um, you know, suddenly it doesn't apply. Right. And suddenly the inverse happens, which by the way, for anybody who's sitting here thinking, well, oh, he says Ocala like six times on this podcast, we're not hot spotting a podcast. Okay. If you, if you Google sand, you know, uh, scrub Oak country, Florida, it's an enormous WMA. Um, there, like he just said, there's, there's not a whole lot of big bucks. So it's not like you're going to like hot spot this, 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 this place. Um, unlike some people, we, we try and respect that. And so I just want to clarify, like, this isn't, this isn't any different than saying like big Cypress. Everybody knows big Cypress. These are just common household names and they're huge and they're hostile. Um, but I just think it's interesting. You have to stay really flexible as a deer hunter because the idea is deer like certain things. They like habitat changes. They like the ability to be a, be a ability to see, stay safe, get food, get water. And what that looks like in every environment is just different. I think that's what makes Florida so difficult to hunt is mm -hmm. because um, we always joke about it in the Patreon group, but we, we always say, well, it depends when somebody has an answer <laughs> or a question. Is it, is it Michael that answer. always, Michael's like, well, if you guys give me an it depends answer, I'm going to lose it. <laughs> well, well, the reason that it's, it depends is, is it varies so much and the state is so different throughout these habitats. I, I really love the series that you're doing. I think this is brilliant because this kind of helps take away some of that this depends because then you have an idea like, hey, this is what I need to key in on. This is what, you know, Ricky talked about. This is what split shot talked about. Now I can key in on it. This is the differences because those, you know, longleaf pine habitat is so different from, you know, hunting here in Ocala. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. So 
you're looking for your cutovers. You get to a cutover and you're scouting. What are you looking for in that cutover that tells me, tells you, this is where I need to be set up. Let's just say it's gun season and you're not running dogs, right? For this, for this situation. Cause a cutover and bow that just, that sounds like trouble. So let's just say it's a gun. What's actionable uh, sign look like for you? You're normally there's going to be some kind of like ponds around. Like if you find a good, really good cut, they're going to have some kind of ponds that are around it. Um, so if you could find rubs or something because rubs are rubs are totally different and and there's a place that i hunt that's, that's not you know really far but it's totally different habitat and over there the way that i approach things is when i find a scrape i put more value in a scrape because there's not a whole lot of scrapes over there most of the habitat is is primarily going to be rubs and I, I over there i don't dismiss rubs i like concentrated historical rubs and if I can find that even in the scrub, like concentrated historical rubs, mm. I know this deer, especially if it's fresh, um, I know this deer is kind of wanting to hang out in this area and he's traveling it. And like you're going to, like I said, I, even in the scrub, I wouldn't dismiss scrapes. Like I want scrapes and bucks on to be around, but I'm not going to hang up on a scrape and sit there for a week and not see a deer. But if you find a big primary scrape or something like that, then that would be a total different scenario. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, I completed two questions there. One of, one of the things that Pat asked me to, to continue to ask in this series is what is actionable versus, you know, sign that just tells you deer in the area. And it sounds like you kind of touched it, touched on that a little bit. There is the scrape. I'm going to echo what you say, even up here, rubs seem like a dime a dozen, especially with habitat being as sparse or um, not sparse, the opposite. So thick through here. I mean, they're moving through, they see something they like, they just kind of, they, they get frisky. There's any number of reasons why they do that. It feels like a different level of energy is put into a scrape. It feels like that scrape is meant to really convey to surrounding deer that something is significant about this spot and it find and i find that the areas that have high concentrations of scrapes that high concentration may vary too like you know it may be two or three in a in a football field sized area or it might be 13 but you'll go a, a long distance without finding one and then you'll find a patch of them and then all of a sudden it feels like you're in a deer pocket um the national forests are a lot like that where you're moving through and it's like oh look at that scrape and then you look a little further and you're like oh there's another one over there and then another one over there and then you take a step back and you look and you see the trail going into the thicket and it's like okay i bet you this is a general bedding area um does that kind of hold true for you kind of throughout the state of Florida or is that kind of a, a unique thing to that area you were talking about? I think that would hold true. Um, cause I hunt, I hunt quite a bit of different habitat. I hunt swamp and longleaf pond, uh, hunt quite a bit of that. And then I hunt, you know, the scrub, that, that's where I grew up was in the scrub. So, uh, that's a lot of my experience comes there, but most of my still hunting experience comes from other places. But, uh, I always look for what's going to be different, what, where, what's, what's going to be different. And that's where I was talking about in the scrub. If it's going to, there's a lot of rubs there, then that's different than what I'm going to find somewhere else. And I think the reason be, for that is because 
maybe it's just a different habitat for the deer and maybe deer are keying in on that, that as we talk about it, i think about the conversation we had the other day about rubs on the you know on the marco polo is there's a visual component to it and there probably is a visual component and the scrub to um these scrapes because you can almost walk over there and you see a low-hanging oak limb that's about you know chest high and I would, I could pretty much bet money there in September, like it's going to have a broke off limb over top of it and it's going to be balled out. Like it's just kind of that way. And, and when you walk into, you know, timber country, like you walk in there and you find a little pine sapling that's uh, on a transition edge, you could almost do the same thing. You could mm -hmm. lay down money and be like, there's going to be a rub over there. And whenever I find the concentration of that, that's when it becomes important because then and it has security cover uh i know that's a lot of like johnny Eberhart kind of stuff but what he's talking about is really important because we can't get in there so if i could find a way for him to exit it and you follow that scrape line or that rub line and then you find the concentration and it's going into a thick spot or it's somewhere that you think he could bed and kind of watch what's going on well, then that's the place that he's going to want to be. And you're going to find him somewhere close by. Mm -hmm. Now you need to figure out what is going to make him move. And if that's a doe or if that's going to be a, uh, a food source, if it's going to be a front, like a primary feed tree, um, something, you know, we're, we're still talking about the scrub because we're talking about the oak trees that you find. And I love to find like in timber country, a, isolated oak tree that is on a travel route because it is just money they will be walking through there and you're they're walking through these ponds and then all of a sudden there's an oak tree and if it's got acorns on it like every deer in the woods knows about it they're coming to that tree and just you know when they're headed to their main food source they're going to stop there and eat on that tree or if there's a scrape there like they're going to come by because it's curious it's something different in the woods and I would say even in the scrub, like if you, if there's a small pond and, and a thicket that's got some, a bunch of rubs in there, well, it's probably because it's a different, you know, just a different habitat within that habitat. You that just gave away, you just gave away a golden nugget that I hope people as they're ta as they're listening to this podcast, back this up right now and go back and listen to that if you were just kind of dazed out typing on the computer chilling on the way to work go back and listen to that because if you hunt pine habitat what he just described applies to almost every pine habitat i've been in since going back to southeast georgia you know pine rows what you just said especially what i found um and tell me if this holds true for you as well if i'm on a transition line and i've got kind of like a meanderance of trails going through and then you have that oak tree just kind of like right right on one side of that of that transition line it feels like all of those trails just go like right over to it they, in fact they go from being heavy for me to really sparse as the deer are kind of going out underneath that tree line and if you go and look the dirt's turned over the 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 the, the acorn crab uh, caps are all cracked open and uh that is absolute money um yeah it's just an isolated place for them to come yeah yeah and it just it I still think, I also think that it has some degree of visual cue to them too. I think when deer are moving through the woods, you know, they don't have that depth perception. So as they're moving through, I think that, that those trees have like a different, um, visual marker 
and so it kind of aids for that as well. But um, every if I can find a solitary oak tree on a transition line in the pines, good God, it's crazy. Or out in the middle of nowhere. Like if you're ever driving through the woods down any of these terrible roads and you're looking off to the side and you just see like a 25 to 40 foot oak tree, just put it in park, go over there and walk. See if it's got caps because I guarantee you that thing's getting hit. Yeah, they, uh, there's some reason that they're they're going to it, and it, I don't know. It may be something of variety of diet that they need, mm-hmm. or it's just a good spot to stop and check on that tree, or it may be a community spot to go and you know communicate to other deer. Mm-hmm. But there's some reason that they really enjoy finding that the spot within the spot, like we talk about. Yeah, which again is Eberhart, and I think um, a lot of people. I don't know. I've I don't know that I've been into a spot yet in my deer hunting pursuits that di- that Eberhart's book wasn't applicable. Uh, I'm not saying it was one of those things like every line applied to it, but every time I go hunting, I come away feeling more appreciative of Eberhart's book because I, it, it just it hits home, man. It hits home every time here. Yeah, his strategy and his his tactics. Um, I think if you use those anywhere and in the nation, you will be a better deer hunter and you'll be on more deer. Mm-hmm. That's just he's talking about what deer do and how to be successful and have a successful system as a hunter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I had a question for. Oh, OK, let's do this. So what are the benefits um, I think I've heard one, but I'm curious. What are the benefits to hunting that habitat? Because there's always cons, there's always pros. What's the pros to hunting the uh, the scrub oak country? <laughs> Other than you get to run dogs in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, really, the probably the most valuable thing that I got out of hunting here and this this kind of ecosystem is because it was so challenging. And it was so tough. You had to be open-minded to hunt it Mm. and you had to be versatile. Mm. And I think that it strengthened me as a hunter because when I left there, it wasn't hard. When when I left there, is that being my primary spot? And I started to get into habitat that was a little different, like into these pine habitats and stuff like that. It, it became so easy. Like it it wasn't hard for me to find you. Mm. Like I went straight into it and finding deer instantly. And I was, I got to see deer doing deer things because there was more deer finally. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't difficult to, to find the sign. The sign correlated to something. And I would say that would be the biggest benefit because if you can figure the scrub out and be successful there and, and really any manner of way, if you, you know, if you, if you, we talk about the Ocala National Forest and the hot, hot spot. And if you can kill a deer there, we, we've always said you can go take that and you can apply it somewhere else and you can kill a deer anywhere because you've hunted one of the hardest habitats to be able to hunt. I believe that, you know, through and through, that it is one of the most difficult places you can hunt. Yeah, I agree. And I don't think I don't think naming it is going to encourage – I don't think this discussion is going to encourage – people to go give it a try i think i think maybe maybe it will maybe it'll be like coos deer or something like that and it'll just <laughs> everybody be coming like from all over the place to come and try to get one yeah. of these scrub deer one day 
<laughs> I was I was thinking how cool would it be to have like a um like a registry system for the state for the state of Florida where it was like killed a buck in uh, the scrub oak country, you know, killed one in the Everglades, you know, something like that. I don't know. I, th- I think that'd be kind of like uh, like a Florida Grand Slam or something. I don't know. I think it'd be kind of cool. Yeah, that sounds good to me. <laughs> I'm after it. <laughs> I'm gonna get on that now. Do I really that, need buddy. one of those one of those coastal deer. <laughs> yeah, well, September on our Patreon hunt. I'm ready to go get after it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. This is uh this is gonna be a blast. Anybody who doesn't know, uh every year we do a we do a Patreon deer hunt. Um we might be doing a Patreon turkey hunt this year. Um actually I'm pretty confident we're doing a Patreon turkey hunt this year. Uh, and so that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but we get together, we host a big meal, we have a big deer. We, we're, we're bringing deer camp back. You know, everybody in this group grew up with deer camp. And so if you're a Patreon subscriber, in addition to the giveaways and to the free hats and the discounts in the store, all that stuff, um, you also get invited to uh, our, our annual deer camp. And it's an absolute blast, man. It is the range of personalities, the range of skill sets. I mean, there was not a single soul that showed up. You know, you know how sometimes when you get together with a group of guys or people in general, it can be kind of clunky. It's awkward. Everybody's kind of kicking the tires to figure out, like, who should I talk to? But, dude, there wasn't an ounce of that. Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with we taught each other so much. Um I don't talk to my best friend near as much as I talk to y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I probably don't talk to my wife as much as I talk to no. y'all. Because, I don't know, it's just a big group of guys, and you you have somebody to talk to. And last year, that Patreon hunt, like, it was hard to go hunt because you were having so much fun back at camp yeah. and spending time with each other. Yeah. Guys yeah. that are like-minded. It was it was really cool, man. <clears throat> it, it was it, all backgrounds it was, it was so much fun. That was one of, you know, there, there are memories that you make when you're in the outdoors that you're never going to forget. Like I've killed deer that if I don't see a photo, I'll never remember. I will never forget that Patreon. That was an absolute riot. I think, I think for me it was different too, because my son was sick and my wife was sick. And so like every night I was having to drive all the way back home to help and then drive back up there to be with you guys that day. And so, uh, it was a little bit of madness, but man, and deer died, man. Deer died. Was it, how many, how many, did we ever have like an official count of how many deer died? It's like, gotta be close to six. I think it, I want to say six. Cause you went but, up uh, and you went, you went to a different WMA and, and smacked one and the chicken buck got one. He got chicken buck got three on that hunt. <laughs> three. <laughs> Yeah, but he did have a little bit of a head start. He was there when everybody else was driving. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and then Ben got one. Ben and Chase got one. So I want to say six. I think six. It's pretty good for a weekend. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there was the cool thing about it is, had does been legal, I think everybody would have shot a deer. There was not a yeah. person like, I think that's, the, that's the caveat is like Florida's weird with, with its rules. And so, um, everyone I know saw a deer, everyone I spoke to, I feel like saw a buck, whether it was a big one or not, everybody saw a buck. I think other than the first night, I can't remember not seeing deer. Yeah. I saw deer every set. I think I, I saw them every set other than that night where it rained. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was fun, man. That was, that was a fun time. So all right, closing thoughts on this. Anything stand out to you that you wanted to talk about about the the scrub oak ha- uh, habitat? 
Um, man, it's just a hard place to hunt. Go, but if that's the place that you have to hunt, go hunt. Go find a way to overcome those challenges. And if you can do that, then you can take that somewhere else and you can utilize it. Don't, I hear, hear people all the time. They come from up north and everybody knows like about the invasion of Florida and they come down here and they're like, Oh, these deer are so small. And these, you know, this is so hot. Don't make excuses for reasons not to go hunt. Um, just go do it. If you love to hunt, man, go do it. Take somebody else with you and go have a good time and just, you know, like I said, don't make excuses, find ways to overcome that challenge and, you know, be in the outdoors. I love it, man. I love it. Well, I appreciate you being part two to this series. Um, you know, th- these aren't going to be overly long episodes, largely because we're taking a huge topic and breaking it down into bite-sized pieces. But that's the point. I want you guys to be able to go back to this. These are all going to get put on the website uh, so that you guys can go and see the little write-up that I do about it. Uh, you, you can reference this as time goes on. You can share this with your friends. You know, if you have, if you know a deer hunter who's struggling in the state of Florida, if you know a deer hunter who just wants to get better, I feel like this series is going to have a lot to add to them. And frankly, I think if you're a veteran hunter or not, I think hearing the different approaches, for example, clear cuts are negative space, clear cuts are positive space. Hearing the two different sides to that coin, I think enough of that is going to start having an impact uh, on your mental flexibility when you approach the deer woods. Because I know that one of the things I have always been uh, weakest at is that I'm trying to take something that's behavior is predictable and trying to apply one pattern that I found in a hundred different places. And so by having this podcast and hearing all these different perspectives, it's, it's helped me be mentally flexible and not get married to one idea or one approach and, and be a, a, a well, more rounded, well-rounded deer hunter. And so uh, that's the goal here to, to, to make these little micro doses of habitat nuance and uh, kind of create a picture for everybody. So split shot, dude, you've had a long week. It's only Wednesday, uh, two more sleeps and we'll be at the weekend. Uh, another hundred sleeps will be at deer, at deer camp and uh, I appreciate you buddy well thanks for having me on I really enjoyed it yeah absolutely so if you're hearing this you want to get on on the patreon hunt you want to be in on those discussions go check out patreon.com forward slash chasing tales outdoors or I made it real easy for you check it out in the show notes below click the link t- uh, it'll take you there uh, we appreciate each and every one of y'all and your support and uh Until next time, guys, get ready for part three because it's coming quick.